Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is Anupa Mystery, and you're listening to Burnout, short conversations about creative sustainability with working artists. I've been listening to Ladin Hussein, who makes music as cold specs for the better part of a decade. She's had a pretty enviable career for a young Canadian musician. Polaris Prize shortlisted, four albums of incredible range and depth, and the support of labels in Canada and the UK. In the last year, Ledin has really opened up about her mental health and the way that it was affected by a relentless tour schedule. I wasn't sure if Ledin was scammed to sit down and talk about everything. Her story epitomizes the extreme end of burnout. But she came over and we talked about a lot, including her health, but mostly about finding yourself again through your art. Just a heads up, this conversation mentions suicide and depression. That was called I Predict a Graceful Expulsion. And that was nominated for the Polaris? That was nominated for the Polaris. Oh, sorry, it was shortlisted. shortlisted. Yeah. yeah. And I remember you performed at that ceremony. Yeah. Someone confused me with you. Really? At the after party. <laughs> that we look nothing alike. I know. They were like... <laughs> I will never forget this. It was at the Drake afterwards, and they were like, hey, cool, it was nice to see you on stage there. And I was like, oh, I think they thought it was Latin. myself cold specs and i'm a singer actually i don't know if you remember but we ran into each other last summer at the beauty supply yeah i do remember um do you feel comfortable just kind of going back to that moment maybe and describing like where you were at i had shaved my head and i was looking for a wig um and i was in the middle of a psychotic episode um, you could probably see that I was unwell. Yeah. It was eye-opening for me, I think, um, just in terms of challenging my own comfort levels with knowing that someone who, I mean, we don't know each other super well, but we've met a long time ago and we've known of each other. And to me, I, the way I thought about it was someone within your community, you know, is kind of going through something. And how do I address this like with people who know you, but also like how am I? Yeah. I was very, I just wanted to be mindful of like not making you feel terrible, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it was nice to see you that day. I, yeah, I was going through a lot. I was hospitalized shortly after that. Um, Yeah. I was hospitalized like, first week of June second week of June okay so it was probably like the darkest darkest time of my life yeah um yeah um I just want you to kind of feel comfortable with like giving the synopsis of what you've been through in the last couple of years I had an album I put out a record it was called Fool's Paradise 
At the time, I didn't really quite believe in the music, but I put it out anyway. I didn't think it was my strongest work. And, and on the tour, I somehow forgot how to sleep. There was a lot of pressure around the shows. Um, it wasn't really promoted properly. Um, the shows weren't selling. Uh, and so I was playing a show almost every day with hardly any, like it was three months with hardly any days off. Uh, and I became delusional. I had paranoid delusions uh, and they got worse and worse as time went on. Uh, so I lived unmedicated. I came back from that tour and was completely unmedicated for six months, living in a psychotic state. And then I was hospitalized. As soon as I got my medication, I just felt completely back to normal. And it was like, where is the last year of my life? Uh, but I knew I had to create. And so I started writing. Um, you were writing again in like the hospital. I started writing a record and, and reflecting in the hospital on on things. But I scrapped that record. <laughs> oh, okay. And I wrote a new one. Um, after I got better, I started talking to my old label, Mute Records, and they were really interested in uh, working together again. They had no idea about my mental illness or anything. When I started speaking with Mute again, it just felt right. I actually went to the UK for a couple months. And when was that? I went in, uh, in May, and I wrote a record. Um, with some people I'm really excited about and it deals with uh, heartbreak because I went through a breakup before my psychosis I think that was probably a contributing factor sure. <laughs> to it um, I was with with him for six years oh, and wow. we lived together then we broke up and then I went on tour had a mental breakdown uh, and like, completely burnt out but I'm back creating and I love to sing again. I feel like I've made a very strong collection of songs that I truly believe in for the first time in a long time. Really? Um, yeah, I've, I lost my passion, mm. but I was still doing it because it was work and mm. Um, mm. it was paying the bills and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it somewhat, but my first record I spent my whole life writing it, like I spent my teenage years writing it. That was called I Predict a Graceful, Graceful Expulsion. And that was nominated for the Polaris? That was nominated for the Polaris. Oh, sorry, it was shortlisted. shortlisted. Yeah. yeah. And I remember you performed at that ceremony. Yeah. Someone confused me with you. Really? At the after party. <laughs> we look nothing alike. I know. They were like... <laughs> <laughs> I will never forget this. It was at the Drake afterwards. And they were like, hey, cool. It was nice to see you on stage there. And I was like... And like... Two days later, I was like, oh, I think they thought it was Ludden. <laughs> <laughs> I could not figure it out. I was like, what? What did he? That was 2012. Feels like a lifetime ago. It was. That was a good year for me. That was like when I first got into this. I toured so much, but I enjoyed being on tour. The record did well. I was able to live off of it for a couple years. Do you think like that set up false expectations? Yeah, I mean, my before I even signed a record deal, I had gotten this publishing deal that was really wild in the UK. And like, I just assumed that that's how I was going to live for the rest of my life, you know, and didn't realize that, you know, you have to really keep working at it. Like you have to keep releasing strong material. And I mean, how old were you? 23, okay. 24. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can be forgiven for having those <laughs> expectations, you know? Yeah, I was a baby. Yeah. The first and second record I wrote on my, by myself 
the third record I co-wrote with my ex-boyfriend and this is the first time I've gone in with like professional co-writers and um, I'm assuming you're not allowed to name drop I, I don't mind this guy called Ed Harcourt in the UK Jonathan Cornby he wrote that song with uh, Eagle Eye Cherry do you remember that Save Tonight oh yeah, yeah. Save Tonight <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I worked with him and we wrote some cool songs. And uh, Adrian Utley from Portishead. Oh, no um, way. Yeah, he's producing my record. Oh, cool. But everyone was who Mute got in contact with suddenly, they were just really wanting to work with me, um, which I, I kind of assumed I, my career was dead after my mental breakdown. And to have people just wanting to work with me and was really nice. Also, I don't know if we've said it, and if you feel comfortable saying it, but you were diagnosed with schizophrenia. Yes, I was diagnosed with schizophrenia. I'm on medication for it. They gave me the option of going off of it in August, which would have been the year mark. Yeah. I chose to do two years instead because I'm just rebuilding. I don't have time for mental illness right now. <laughs> I love that. surprised that you were quote-unquote allowed to kind of get back to work so quickly but on the other hand I can see how doing things that make you feel good about yourself and feel productive probably encouraged music is like therapy like I sing every single day I might as well record myself (laughs) right (laughs) so you're singing at home now with your parent or with your family and recording yourself every day I have a keyboard and I kind of do my warm-ups practice my songs i have like 20 songs to choose from for the album so i'm like i'm going back to the uk in like december so um just planning the recording stuff and for my medication i can only go for three months at a time okay because it's just a shot they inject you and it stays in your system for three months oh wow it's pretty great (laughs) it's not i don't have to take a pill every day yeah which is good medication is important you have to take care of yourself and do what you need to do. Um, it's I, I don't know where I'd be without it. I'd probably be like on the streets or something. Mm-hmm. Like it's f- completely fixed me. You've kind of talked about like the toll it took on your personal health, but you know, did it damage relationships? Um, um, Career-wise, it hasn't damaged anything. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was unable to work for a couple of months, yeah, which was really stressful, but I had royalties. Uh, I had to move out of my condo and move into my parents' house um, while I got better. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what that's been like? <laughs> I have a little brother, and he's 16 years old, so it's nice to live with him because I haven't lived with him for so many years. He was so small when I left. Teenagers are good at keeping Teenagers, you humble. They're so cool. Like <laughs> I spend so much time with him. That's so he's nice. He's so cool. He just got a job at Sports Check. Hey, I used to work <laughs> at Sports Check, too. <laughs> he's so cool, and he has like the coolest shoes in the world, uh, and I... I adore him so spending time with him has been really nice and it's I don't I've got a big family I'm one of seven kids oh wow so I like constantly have people around coming to the house yeah you were telling me earlier that you hadn't lived at home in like seven or eight years yeah yeah 
when I was really sick uh, and when I started to get better, like my parents kind of, what's the word, you know what? They started, started treating me like a child again because I they, did some, they needed to nurse me back to health. You yeah. Know? So there was like it's like little issues at first, but we've learned to develop our relationship and uh, every, everything's blessed at the moment. Love is also like a really powerful thing, and like being vulnerable with your family is, um, it can be transformative. Yeah, it's been so nice. My parents at first, we didn't used to get along because of my music, my choice to drop out of university and pursue a career in music. Like they were so disappointed in me. I remember uh, you telling me about that early yeah, on when we first met. They were and they didn't speak to me for a good year. I was I just had cut them off for my own health as well and like we just I needed to pursue music and they didn't support it, so I cut ties. Um, but they've become, they've turned into like very supportive parents, um, and they just want me to do what I love and it seems to make me really happy. So they're happy now. I'm going to start crying. (laughs) (laughs) It's really nice to hear. You're working on another album. I'm assuming you're going to tour that album. Yeah, I will definitely not tour as long as I used to tour, like three months nonstop. I won't do that. I'll do the big cities. I'll probably do like Toronto and New York, call that the North American tour. <laughs> and then <laughs> London, Berlin, a couple of shows in Germany, Denmark, um, and call that the European tour. I don't know. I'll see how it goes. I'm also making this record without factor. You don't get money for touring. Right. So I'll have to fund it somehow, and that's kind of stressing me out at the moment. But, but it also kind of removes a variable of like when you get that, that you're kind of constraining yourself. Yeah, I can only do a certain amount of shows. What have you learned about being able to be in control of your career? Um, How come you didn't have that ability then and you have that ability now? I, I don't have, I'm managing myself at the moment. Um, so I, I before I just had too many people around me who worked for me and you know, made money off of what I made right and so for for them it would it was best for me to tour as much as possible to keep the to keep everything going and now I just don't I call that off and right um, I'm working with my label very closely I'm doing what I need to do and that's it right I never want to have another episode again i need to be kind to myself six to eight hours of sleep every night never do an all-nighter never pull into a city get in a car with a hungover tour manager and like drive to a new city to do it all over again like no fuck that band members the opening act was in the tour van as well and like we were all cramped together bodies and equipment in a van (laughs) driving for 13 hours to the next city like why would I ever do that again for what reason don't even make that much money off of it anyway like what's the fucking point no thank you not doing it I like that you're standing up for yourself (laughs) um 
I mean, you know, I look back fondly on my early tours because they were genuinely really fun. <laughs> we flew in for the Polaris Prize in 2012 and then flew back to Europe and then did a huge tour. And that was just like so exciting to me as a 23, 24-year-old. I loved it. Um, but as time went on, the dynamics would change. And the records were just not, they weren't getting any better. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um so things I don't know you have your peaks and valleys and 2012 was like a peak and then 2015 and 2016 was kind of it was all right you know 2017 bad 2018 whoa yeah (laughs) um in interviews you've talked about how your first album was kind of written amidst a bit of depression yeah and you know neuroplasticity which was your second record that title speaks directly to ideas of psychotherapy So you've kind of been thinking and working through ideas related to mental health and your emotional state for your entire career. I've written a lot about, like my first record I wrote, I was very, very depressed. I dropped at university. I wanted to pursue a career in music, but nothing was going anywhere. And I so desperately wanted to make things you know, I was also, I never mind, I won't say that. <laughs> I was also very young and yeah. innocent. And so uh, all the songs were very, really sad. Uh, uh, 20, 2014, second record, I wanted to make a louder, noisier record. So I made that. Um, but the songs on that record don't really deal with my emotions I made a conscious decision at that point to remove myself from it because it touring the first record like really emotional songs day in and day out was could be overwhelming at times although I enjoyed the exp- overall experience I've heard people say that like yeah. I've heard other artists say that like it can be kind of draining it was draining yeah my third record I don't even like talking about that record. I fucking hate that record. Wow. I just don't like it. That was Fool's Paradise. Fool's Paradise. The thing I'm interested in is that so many of the interviews were about personal identity. Yeah, that was so annoying. Why was it? Yeah, it just felt like you were, you really were putting yourself out there as a person in a way that you kind of hadn't before. Like there was a bit of a wall, but like it felt, cultivated and careful and thoughtful and then fool's paradise was like i wanted to impress my parents with that record i was really embracing myself and i just really wanted to impress my parents (laughs) i so desperately wanted because they'd come around and they started to appreciate what i was doing but then the conversations all centered around identity and after a while those interviews made me really uncomfortable and I felt like they weren't really talking about the record and it was more just wanting to talk about me which I was really uncomfortable about. The public perception of you as an artist and the public narrative of you as an artist how do you think about that now? I'm going to be very careful going forwards. All you have to say really is I had a psychotic episode without going into detail. I don't want it to become something that, you know, defines the entire collection of songs Mm -hmm. and becomes something that defines me because I'm more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, I had, I know that I have to be careful. So yeah. Why, why did you decide that you wanted to talk about it? 
uh, I dealt with it privately for a couple months on my own and not only two of my friends really knew what was going on um during my psychotic episode i had sent a lot of erratic messages to people and it it was i posted on instagram initially to you know i just wanted to talk about it it's important to talk about uh because people in my my particular community they don't they don't really address it properly um prevents people from getting the help that they need yeah i've had to whittle down my friend circle Mm. um uh, I lost a lot of friends when I was it was very hard to deal with yeah what I went through and some people just couldn't handle it and I also just decided some relationships weren't best for me going forward so I, I have like a select a collection of really close friends uh, I don't have many acquaintances anymore I just don't right. fucking bother yeah <laughs> I mean I also think like you know that's kind of also just like life as you get older you grow up yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't spend time in the bars anymore. If you were to describe like how your relationship with making music has changed over the last eight years I mean has it um initially I was so passionate about it I loved it I lived and breathed it um and then it turned into work and now I'm back to how I originally felt about music when I dropped out of university and decided this is what I want to do with my life I'm probably the most passionate about it I've ever been oh wow I'm in love with what I do again. But do you have like a different perspective on it? Yeah. Yeah. It, it have to, I had to learn to make it, learn to understand that it doesn't define me as well. Uh, that, you know, I'm more than just cold specs and I'm a human outside of it. I used to make, so when I first started making music, I started working with this producer who ended up being my boyfriend and we lived together for so many years and so he was also my manager and we created everything together and so this is the first time that I'm making the record without him which has been kind of interesting (laughs) it's been really good for my confidence to see that I can do this on my own Mm, Um, I love that yeah I've learned not to be so dependent on him uh and be my own person, which has been really healthy and good. And we're still like good friends, mm-hmm. um, but it's nice to do things without him. Are you excited about going to London? I'm very excited about it. I have so many more opportunities when I'm in the UK. I went for a couple months and I was like working in studios every single day. I'm in Toronto, I have nothing. Deep down, I want to move to the UK, but I know that I have to be here for personal reasons. But yeah, what do you think about the Canadian music industry in Europe? <laughs> <laughs> it's so trash. Today is the Polaris Music Prize. Is that today? Yeah. I love so many Canadian musicians. Like, I really do. The caliber of interesting creative people who come from here, it's, like, overwhelming compared to, like, the resources and support that people receive. Like, there is actually, I think, a lot of interesting 
music and people working with interesting themes and saying interesting things, but those aren't the people who get the most love, yeah. I feel. There aren't many booking agencies. There are, There's only like a handful. Um, there, There's like a handful of labels. There's, there's not much, but there's it's like an overwhelming amount of talented people, but there's nowhere to go. You have to leave the city mm. if you want to make it. It's what I learned at 22. I don't know. I'm doing this record without grant money, so I'm like, fuck it. I don't need it. I don't want to sign to a Canadian label. Does that mean you you also have to make sacrifices in terms of resources? There's um, an album advance. Okay. That's, that's going to take care of the entire recording process. Yeah. In Toronto, like, the only studio I really know of is, like, my ex-boyfriend's studio. <laughs> it's a good studio, but... Yeah. Boundaries. Boundaries. Yeah, boundaries for sure. Boundaries 2019. Yeah. That's my election platform. Sometimes I'm like, wow, I'm such a late bloomer. Like, I don't know why I, like, didn't develop these ideas of self-worth, like, very early on. Yeah. Why did it take me until my why? 30s? Yeah. 30s has been interesting. 30 was, like, mental breakdown. 31 was all about healing. Uh, I'm, and I'll be 32 in February. And then the record's coming out next year. Right now, how do you, what do you feel like you're going to need in order to be like a working musician? Um, good publishing deals. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have to tour um, to make a, make a living. Extensive touring is not good for my health. If I treat it like a vacation and just do like a couple shows here and there, you know probably just do it with a piano player mm. you know i mm. won't have a full band mm-hmm. um i just know i just have to release things and that i believe in and the outcome will be what what will happen will happen do you still like performing i love it that's the thing i fucking love it <laughs> i haven't done it in so long i'm just itching to get on stage um but it's the shit in between you know that's really hard on the hard on the mind I'd love to have a career like I don't know I've been I was just listening to Nick Cave and he's mm. he was on the label that I'm about to sign to and he managed to release records for decades decades consistently and live a good life um I'd quite like to have a career as long as him I wonder also how your relationship to social media has changed I got rid of Twitter I have Instagram, but I've decided recently that I'm not going to post until I have something to promote. Mm-hmm. Um, I've kind of detached myself from it. Uh, I hate scrolling. It's such a waste of time. I used to be able to just like spend hours on Instagram. Yeah. And I just can't. I don't know. I don't want to do that. I've yeah. got better things to do with my time. Social media is a pain in the ass. But then you need it. When I was on tour, I would post daily about shows, and then when I was off, I was posting a lot about my mental health when I got better, and I had to, I stopped myself, <laughs> because it just becomes something that people attach to you permanently, Yeah, and I think medication has kind of changed my, like, it's kind of calmed me down, and I'm not as, uh, 
hyper as I used to be. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm not as funny as I used to be. I kind of died with the medication, I think. <laughs> but whatever, I can sacrifice that. Thanks so much for listening to another season of Burnout. I hope you enjoyed listening to these episodes as much as I loved making them. And there's more on the way really, really soon. So subscribe via your favorite podcasting platforms. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. It really helps. And if you subscribe to my newsletter, you'll also hear more about what I'm up to and what's going on in the world of work, creativity, and memes. (laughs) You can sign up at anupa.substack.com. That's A-N-U-P-A dot substack.com. I have good news. (laughs) I got a grant. So this episode of Burnout is supported by Factor and Canada's private radio broadcasters. If you have a music-related project, visit factor.ca to learn more about their programs.